0: And um, I'd like to move on and introduce our last speaker, Um, Dr. Oyema Obuago, otherwise known as Dr. O, is an Associate Professor of Medicine and Director of the HIV Clinical Trials Program of the Yale AIDS Program, Section of Infectious Diseases of the Yale School of Medicine. He's also the Yale principal investigator on multiple investigational, therapeutic, and preventive clinical trials for COVID-19. And he will speak to the current status of COVID-19 treatment options for mild, moderate, and severe disease. Thank you and over to you, Dr. O.
1: Uh, hello, everyone, and thank you for that gracious uh, introduction. Um, uh, it's always fun to be the last speaker because I'm probably between you and your lunch if you're West Coast time, and if you're East Coast time, probably between you and your next webinar. So um, today we'll be focusing on the current status of the COVID-19 treatment options for mild, moderate, and severe disease. It's impossible to be exhaustive um, regarding the treatment options that are available, and I've chosen to focus on a few as our highlight as we go on. My uh, disclosures are as shown. So our learning objectives today will to be discussed to discuss currently authorized or approved COVID-19 treatments. I'm gonna really focus on remdesivir and remdesivir combination approaches as well as the monoclonal antibodies. Uh, some of these had uh, interesting data at CROI and so that would be the focus of the updates. I'll try to highlight as we go through the slides, what I consider to be data gaps with the treatment options that I highlight and end with discussing you know, some of the exciting, or at least unexciting or promising COVID-19 treatment option um, that we heard about recently. So let's go to an audience response question. So um, I guess I'll let, I'll try to read them out, which gives you time to respond. So the Act One trial showed the receipt of remdesivir for less than five days following symptom onset compared to those who received a greater than five days so symptom onset was associated with improved outcomes. Um, mechanism of, um, action of remdesivir is via inhibition of SARS-CoV-2-like protease. Oh, I see that the first, um, uh, question did, wasn't complete, but it's improved clinical status. So just add that to your thought process. Um, C, remdesivir was associated with higher rates of incidence, AKI, in patients with moderate COVID in the simple-moderate study. And the last option is in the simple-moderate study, participants in the 10-day armor from remdesivir did not have improved clinical status compared to placebo recipients. Okay, and we have the results. So I see that um, half of you chose that the ACT-1 trial had uh, showed a benefit that was a cutoff for five days from symptom onset, and then we have a smattering of other responses. So you will, as we go through the presentations, we should address those. So I just want to start by the NIH COVID-19 treatment guidelines. These are living guidelines that respond to new data as they emerged, including data that hasn't uh, yet been published as has become the norm in the COVID-19 era, but with the caveats that they haven't always been uh, peer-reviewed. Um, so, um, it's, it's a little disheartening that, you know, one year into the pandemic that this list isn't long, especially just given the flurry of activity around uh, clinical trials, you know, the real, uh, um, global effort to try to identify uh, treatments or therapies that, that work. Um, in the antiviral uh, spectrum, um, we uh, see that um, Remdesivir remains the one agent that's authorized and now approved Um, and uh, per the NIH recommendations uh, um, for, it's stratified for inpatients by, by their oxygen requirements. So for those who require oxygen supplementation all the way from nasal cannula all all the way through non-invasive positive pressure ventilation, there's a requirement to use that. And it's unclear that there may be some benefit for those who are hospitalized. For the monoclonal antibodies they are listed, those that are single agents like bamlanivimab and combination therapies, we're gonna go through some of the studies for these agents. Um, Again, uh, depending on the quality of information, plus minus insufficient evidence for outpatient therapy, we do know that these agents have really shown benefit more in the outpatient setting and either futility, and in some cases, harms for inpatients. A combination BAM-etacivimab has been recommended um, for use for outpatients with mild to moderate disease. I'm not going to discuss the immune modulators, uh, dexamethasone. We know the recovery trial data, as well as tocilizumab, which has really had a lot of mixed uh, uh, data to date. Mm -hmm. um, And um, happy to take questions around those in the Q&A. So let's start with the remdesivir studies. Um, so this was the ACT-1 um, NIH trial that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, where remdesivir, it was a multinational trial of 10 days of remdesivir noted duration versus placebo in patients who were hospitalized with uh, COVID-19. There was a spread of patients with both, you know, moderate, severe, mild disease. Medi- um, and uh, this was... Uh, Shown So in this study, we saw that the primary um, endpoint was the recovery time, and the median recovery time was 10 days uh, for remdesivir compared to 15 days for placebo. So there's a five-day shortening of uh, median time to recovery, and that was clinically significant. In that study, there was found that uh, there was no effect on mortality observed. As, as most of us know, um, when subgroup analyses were done, there was an in- interesting uh, difference by time. So for those who had symptom duration less than 10 days, they had a statistically significant relative recovery ratio, as well as younger individuals, uh, 18 to 40, as well as those who were receiving oxygen. Then we also saw subsequent data on uh, the, the simple studies. So the simple studies, there was a simple severe study and the, simp- the simple moderate study. The simple moderate study was reported in JAMA and remember the simple moderate study was the multinational trial that looked at five days of remdesivirus against 10 days of remdesivir compared to standard care, so three arms. And these were in patients who are hospitalized with moderate COVID as defined as having an oxygen situation above 94%. So these were not individuals um, on oxygen. And so the study uh, found that uh, those who were in the five-day arm um, did better than standard of care for clinical status distribution at day 11, which was a primary endpoint. This difference was not seen um, in the 10-day arm. Um, They actually found an increased um, rate of adverse events in the 10-day remdesivir arm versus standard of care. Um, To the right, you see the distribution based on the ordinal scale that most of us are used to and um, what it looked like in standard of care compared to the five-day and the 10 day arm. So I think some of the questions from a clinical standpoint are that we've seen that remdesivir can result in in, in improved clinical outcomes in some of these uh, well-designed clinical trials. Um, However, we know that uh, they really haven't shown impact on mortality. And I think that, you know, based on some of these studies, there's still a lot of questions about, you know, two outliers in the spectrum of disease, including those who have much more milder forms of disease who don't require oxygen. So those with the milder forms of COVID, um, including those who are uh, outpatients, there's questions around what's the optimal timing to optimize the benefits from imbezivir. Again, the uh, 10-day cutoff from the NIH trial, but you know, um, could there be even greater benefit for uh, utilizing the drug in shorter periods? And so those are very very open uh, data gaps for remdesivir. Now we also know that remdesivir has been studied in combination of immunomodulators. Um, you know, r- um, recognizing that um, you know the paradigm of the pathogenesis model that we all are aware of um, with a viral phase and then um, uh, a dysregulated uh, immune or cytokine storm uh, phase, and so you know, carefully selecting out for patients that would benefit from a dual modality antiviral um, immunomodulator therapy has been uh, yeah, has been a source of intense and investigation on many fronts. So this was one of such studies um, with um, uh, remdesivir and barocitinib, the ACT-II trial that was published in the (laughs) Center of Medicine not too long ago. Um, This was a multinational study of hospitalized patients with moderate to severe uh, COVID Um, In this study, um, people received um, either remdesivir or uh, remdesivir, 10 days of remdesivir, plus uh, baricitinib given uh, oral 14 days or placebo. Um, Steroid use was included in this study, very, very important to mention. So the results in this study were that they found that the time to recovery was shortened by one day in those who got the combination therapy as against those who got, you know, eight days. Of, uh, sorry, So uh, compared to those who just got remdesivir alone. And when they looked at uh, clinical improvement, there was a 30% higher odds uh, by day 15 for those who received uh, dual therapy. Now, if you look at the figure to the right, you see the uh, subgroup analysis. And um, look, if you look at the bottom part of the, part, part of the table, you can see that um, when they looked at disease severity, it appeared that those who had more severe disease on, on presentation tended to have a greater uh, benefit with regards to recovery, and also those who had an ordinal six at, at study entry. So these were people who were acquiring um, uh, high flow oxygen and non-invasive uh, positive pressure ventilation uh, defined as a subset. Interestingly, they found newer use of oxygen and mechanical ventilation tended to occur less in those who got uh, baricitinib. Again, in this study, there was no mortality benefit, but with the caveat that this study wasn't uh, powered uh, for these individuals. You know some of the concerns about using abaricitinib would be the the risk of you know secondary infections, but that signal was not uh, observed in this clinical trial, which which was uh, reassuring. And um, just also to mention that um, steroid use was excluded, so this was really uh, an important consideration with regards to. Uh, potential uh, experience in the clinical trials with using um, what, what is now a standard of care in most of our, 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 our real world patients. So here's some of the data from Cry, and I'm gonna present two different um, abstracts that were presented that really talk about, you know, in some ways off-label use of remdesivir, but start to provide very important data um, that, that go beyond uh, you know uh, populations that the, the drug is approved for. So this was one study from Baylor uh, by Flor Munoz. Um, this was just really a dis- uh, describing outcomes in, in an open label single arm study of remdesivir in children aged all the way through you know 28 days, all through less than 18 years years of age. Um, eligible to be eligible for this study, you had to be uh, hospitalized, you had to have laboratory confirmed SARS CoV-2 infection, and they had different GFR cutoffs depending on on the age of the child, Um, also kept um, liver function test abnormalities less than five times upper limit of normal, and you could not be receiving antivirals for SARS-CoV-2. You know, overall, the study found, um, you know, regarding safety, that remdesivir was well tolerated in in majority of the participants. Um, There were grade three or four laboratory abnormalities that were reported in half of these individuals. And... um, some of these were decreased hemoglobin decreased uh, gfr uh, uh, coagulation deranged uh, coagulation parameters uh, and hyperglycemia um, I think we all know, um, you know, having cared for COVID-19 patients, that, you know, many of these uh, laboratory abnormalities could occur in hospitalized patients and may not always be attributable to, to treatments, as you can imagine. There was no comparative arm here, but um, just instructive to see the distribution of the clinical status in the lower figure. And um, um, as of the, uh, you know, day 10, they had significant amounts of discharging. As at the last assessment, um, about 82% of those children are but, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, there were 11, 11% of the participants, uh, unfortunately, uh, succumbed to their illness. So this starts to add so, some data, uh, very, it's, you know, so there were only about uh, 20, 27 or so children in this study. So not a large study, but at least starts to, to um, provide some important data as to, to the safety of using the medications in younger children. Another pro uh, abstract focused on acute kidney injury in participants with moderate COVID-19 um, for those treated with remdesivir and their standard of care. I'm not going to mention the author, uh, the, the presenter. Um, so the background here is that we know that remdesivir is approved for hospitalized patients, age grade than 12 years, um, and uh, remdesivir and in the excipient psychodextrin. So th- that's one of the concerns that, that uh, uh, they are renally cleared. And so using them in uh, in people with reduce, severely reduced renal function, is a concern, and that has informed, you know, the, the the FDA approval label, which says you really should not be using it in individuals who have a estimated GFR less than uh, thirty mL per minute. So the objective here on this postdoc analysis of the simple moderate study was to look at people on the five day and ten day arm as a composite. Um, compared to standard of care arm to see if it was associated with acute kidney injury in hospitalized patients who had uh, moderate uh, COVID-19. So in, in this analysis, they really assessed for acute kidney injury events uh, uh, by by stage, which uh, corresponded to degree of severity of acute in, in kidney injury. Um, overall, they found that um, of the 822 patients in remdesivir arm, as against the 183 uh, participants, um, that there was no acute, uh, uh, there, um, there was less acute kidney injury in the remdesivir arm compared to standard of care. Majority of these events were stage 1, so uh, very milder forms of, of acute kidney injury. However, it was reassuring to see that there was no signal of um, worsening um, of new AKI among individuals who received ramdesivir. Um, this is a post hoc analysis, as you can imagine. Um, there were randomized and non-randomized um, patients who were included in the ramdesivir arm because there was an open-label extension um, in, in the study. And you know, even with those caveats, but I think this at least uh, suggests that you know, there wasn't any, uh, 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 th- that there was at least a favorable um, um, uh, issue around uh, the risk of developing AKI. Based on this data, there's trials a trial of remdesivir in people with uh, COVID-19 and severe renal impairment is planned, and we cannot wait to see what that data shows. So, um, so um, here's um, the response to the initial question we asked. So, the ACT ONE trial, I think we've we now seen that the cutoff was actually ten days and not five days. Um, the mechanism of action of remdesivir is via inhibition of the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. So, that's not accurate. Um, remdesivir was associated with was not associated with higher rates of incident AKI in the post hoc analysis of moderate COVID nineteen. Um, and then we did show that in the moderate study that the five-day arm seemed to show improved clinical status, but we did not find that in the 10-day arm compared to placebo. So that's the right response. Okay, so let's do another audience response question, and it's projected on your screen, and I'm happy to read that. So BAMLANIVIMAB, also known as BAM, um, shows excellent in vitro activity against B117 and B1426 uh, California origin variants. Hospitalized patients who received BAM in active trials showed higher recovery rate ratio compared to placebo. Carisivimab and imdevimab bind to overlapping epitopes of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein receptor binding domain. And then outpatient studies of SARS-CoV-2 mAbs have shown inconsistent relationships between viral load tra- uh, trajectories, decay trajectories, and clinical outcomes. Okay, we're going to show the results. Perfect. So, good. I think you've said good questions when there's a good spread between all the options you offer. And so, it looks like the top two responses chosen were the hospitalized patients who received BAM, showed higher recovery rate ratio compared to placebo, and that outpatient studies have shown inconsistent relationships. So, watch out for. For that, as we discussed the remaining slides. So let's start with Bamlanivimab, um, uh, uh, LYCOV555, which was studied mild to moderate patients. This was a study reported in the New England Journal of Medicine, and this was the phase two study that looked at outpatients who had recent mild to, to moderate uh, COVID-19. So they had to have Uh, tests within three days of getting the infusion. So kind of really short period uh, before they're exposed to drug. Um, and at uh, 70% of these had at least one risk factor of progression to, to severe COVID. Um, we do know that BAM targets the receptor binding domain of this spike protein. So if you look at the table um, at, at the bottom, you can see just the spread that about 100, you know, received um, different, you know, three different doses of uh, BAM lanivumab, which was, you know, 700 milligrams, 2,800, 7,000, 7, sorry, and uh, 143 were enrolled on site to placebo with um, so, But this the data that I'll present will be an interim uh, analysis. The primary endpoint was virologic. So the change from baseline to day 11 in the SARS-CoV-2 viral load and an important clinically meaningful endpoints around safety, uh, severity of symptoms, um, risk of hospitalization. Remember, these were, were outpatients so risk of um, an ED visit hospitalization. So um, what the study found, confusingly, was that if you looked at the three different doses of bamlanivumab, um, only um, one uh, dose range uh, looked different than placebo um, at day 11. Um, This uh, slide shows, the the image shows um, the viral load at day 7, and you can clearly see that um, to the uh, on the horizontal axis is the cycle threshold with lower numbers, meaning higher viral loads and the cumulative probability of having the virus uh, detected viral load But is uh, on the vertical axis um, n- numeric-wise. And so um, it, it's it's interesting that only those in the 2800 uh, group uh, definitely had um, significantly lower viral loads than those in, in the placebo group. Now, when it came to uh, clinical outcomes, you know, one of the key secondary outcomes, as you can imagine, was hospitalization. So the incidence in the placebo arm was about 6.3%. And you see that the hospitalization rates range from 1% to 2%. Uh, the, uh, across the different doses of Bamlenivimab that were received with a pooled uh, hospitalization um, uh, incidence rate of 1.6%. On subgroup analysis, they found that the differences in hospitalization rates were particularly significant for those who were elderly, greater than age 65, and uh, BMI. Um, I know that uh, some hospital protocols, um, you know, that are allowing the use of map or implementing the use of Bamlenivimab for outpatients have then, you know, picked on this data and focused on, on those characteristics as, be, uh, as defining what patient populations they want to use it in. Um, there was no um, serious adverse event in, in those uh, who received Bamalivumab, which was reassuring. This is one of the studies that started to, um, where you had a disconnect between what happened with the viral load trajectories over time. And, um, you know, what the clinical outcomes were, symptom severity, um, and which is at least interesting as to what the proper and uh, uh, end should be for these kinds of studies. Should we be looking at uh, viral load decay? Uh, Obviously, clinical outcomes like risk of hospitalization, disease progression is important or both. And the next study to present, this was at CROI. So this is bamlanivimab and a combination of monoclonal antibodies um, in the BLAZE-1. This was again, a a study in mild to moderate patients presented at CROI. So bamlanivimab and edizevimab um, are uh, uh, monoclonal antibodies for again, targeting the spike protein for treatment. And this was evaluated for the treatment of COVID-19 in high-risk ambulatory patients. It's an ongoing trial and um, included patients, again, with mild to moderate COVID who were diagnosed early. That seems to be Um, the approach um, within three days of a positive test. Um, They included people above the age of 12 and with at least one risk factor for severe disease. So similar to to the BAM trial we showed. Uh, In this study, there was a single infusion of 2,800 milligrams of the monoclonal antibody combination versus placebo. Thought you may want to know what the uh, breakdown of the participants were is about 52% females or so, about a third were elderly and the mean bmi was in the obese spectrum at 33 to 34 remember that they had at least one risk factor for for severe disease um in this study majority had milder forms of covid um so in in this study they found that um the the risk of uh, COVID-19 related hospitalization or any the composites of COVID-19 hospitalization any cause death by day 29 was uh, reduced by 70% in those who received the combination monoclonal um, antibody. Um, It's both shown in the table above and also uh, in the figure uh, below. Um, And a lot of the events appear to occur early as you can see um, in both the BAM arm and the placebo arm. So effect, uh, uh, just, just to highlight that. Um, it, interestingly, in that study, at uh, uh, that period of observation, there was no deaths in patients who received the combination monoclonal antibodies as against 10 in those who received uh, placebo. Unlike the prior study, uh, viral loads were significantly lower in people who received the combination monoclonal antibody uh, approach here. And here's another monoclonal antibody. This is chirocivimab and Indevimab, and this is for mild to moderate COVID-19, the so-called Regen uh, covid 2 Um, Again, these are monoclonal antibodies directed against RBD, non-overlapping sites in the RBD. Um, In this study, they've enrolled 799 uh, patients. It's a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial um, for outpatients with mild to moderate COVID-19. Treatment for these participants were initiated within three days of a positive SARS-CoV test that's running through the studies, and participants were randomized to receive, um, you know, uh, uh, two different doses of the combination therapy or, or placebo. Now in, in this study, um, this is an interim analysis just to highlight that um, obviously they're looking at uh, changes in viral load over time. And this is the data shown in the figure above is what, um, what happened over a seven day period. Uh, with virologic uh, monitoring at baseline, day three, day five, and day seven. And you can clearly see a little bit of difference between those who had serum antibodies at baseline, those who were serum antibody positive and those who were negative. So there was uh, more significant uh, de- there were significant declines in individuals who did not have their own antibodies prior to receiving the infusions as against those who did. Um, on their interim analysis, regardless, uh, composites, um, at day twenty eighth, and this is, um, again, not peer-reviewed, but as as presented in their EUA um, data, um, and this included much more participants than in the above figure, which was about 275 participants. But um, among um, uh, 400, uh, 434 participants who received um, either dose of caracidimab and endevimab, the um, Event rate, which is hospitalization and emergency room visit within 28 days of treatment was 2%. That's against 4% in in those that received placebo. So again, across all all the studies, um, you know, you see that monoclonal antibodies uh, within the outpatient setting for people who are more recently diagnosed with SARS-CoV-2 tend to have quite significant um, impact on decreasing rates of hospitalizations and the virologic data is a a little all over the place. So that was um, for treatment. Um, there was in- interesting data presented at CROI as well for monoclonal antibodies for prevention. And so this was one of those studies that looked at um, uh, bamlanivimab for uh, patients in nursing home settings. Um, and so the study design was there's a confirmed case at site and um, within a seven-day window. They evaluate uh, contacts and um uh, you know, one-to-one randomization to bamlanivimab or placebo. Um, and again, uh, you know, participants, just to, to shorten that timeline between identifying contacts and getting them on study, they um, enrolled them prior to assessment of their baseline uh, SARS-CoV-2 status. Um, and so that allowed for uh, t- uh, two populations to emerge, those who would then be in the treatment population as against those who would be truly, you know, uh, 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 like a post-exposure prophylaxis approach. So the primary outcome here was symptomatic lab com- uh, confirmed COVID-19, but there's also secondary outcomes which were SARS-CoV-2 infection. So they could also even comment on, you know, viral, uh, uh, viral load positivity. And um, for the group that were in the prevention population as shown in, in the results, you, the, these were the subset of individuals who were negative by for SARS-CoV-2, so they didn't have active, at least were not carrying virus and did not have antibody tests, so they didn't have um, their past history or, or recent history of uh, COVID. And so the results were quite striking. And you can see in the figure above that for um, when looking at the residents with symptomatic COVID, and this is the prevention population, again, these were people who were SARS-CoV-2 PCR negative, you can clearly see that there were much lower rates of um, uh, COVID-19, uh, symptomatic COVID-19 in those who received uh, BAM compared to placebo, um, the prevention was, uh, uh, there was an up to an 80% um, reduction in, in risk uh, among that group. And we can see that there were no deaths due to COVID-19 in those with BAM, Lanivumab. Um, there were also uh, studies looking at uh, viral loads in individuals who had breakthrough infections, and it was found that those who received BAM um, tended to have uh, lower lower viral loads. And we know there's a lot of interest on in you know, some of these agents also being able to to block transmission. So all in all, in the interim results, um, you know, looked quite uh, promising and effective as. Uh, a prophylactic agent for, indiv- for for individuals who were exposed and they found this both in the prevention cohort they also had a high risk uh, cohort as well. Then there was also data for the maps for prevention at CROI. This was COVID. This is map and Imdevimab. Um, these were also interim results uh, presented at CROI. Um, the studies of phase three randomized controlled trials involving adults and kids, but kids are not included in this current analysis. And how it is, is that uh, um, if there's a household, uh, if there's a case, uh, um, they assessed household contacts of that case, enrolled them within 96 hours, and again, assessed uh, for those who were PCR positive or negative at baseline and enrolled them in, in separate uh, cohorts. And so for those who were PCR, uh, so they enrolled uh, uh, people who were PCR negative with the end being having uh, a PCR positive SARS-CoV-2 infection, whether it be a symptomatic disease or asymptomatic disease. So they looked at that composite, but also looked at those who had symptomatic disease. Um, and so in this uh, study, they found that compared to to placebo, um, for th- there were no c- cases of symptomatic PCR positive infection, so symptomatic uh, COVID-19 in individuals who got um, Regen. COV, uh, or caris- casirivimab, map than those who got placebo. Now, when you looked at the composite um, of those who had PCR-positive infection, whether it be symptomatic or asymptomatic, um, you can see that there was at least a 51% lower odds of having uh, positive PCR, um, so probably driven by asymptomatic infections in individuals who received Regen-CoV. So, you know, put together, it showed that the antibody cocktail prevented uh, symptomatic uh, PCR-positive disease. It reduced uh, infection rates, and even for those who had uh, virus, virus um, post-drug appeared to have decreased viral loads and even duration of viral detection or shedding, which is uh, very uh, reassuring. So I know one of the concerns um, with the monoclonal antibodies, obviously, is that um, uh, how well the slides go with um, uh, the variants that are uh, currently circulating. I think we just saw news today that the B117 1. 1. is now emerging as the dominant strain all through many parts of the US, uh, of the UK, UK origin. And also you know um, other you know uh, uh, circulating variants like the B1351 and P1, which are really not uh, a big problem for us as of yet, as well as our own homegrown variants and uh, the b uh, identified in California and the B1526 in New York. And so the different constructs, remember, lots of these are in vitro assays, um, and um, so different constructs of virus based or pseudovirus based on the different uh, mutation combinations. So if you look at the key mutations tested, they're listed with the acronyms for the different monoclonal antibodies and the specific uh, mutation um, within those uh, strains. And so for bamlanivimab, you can see uh, for the B117, there's no fold change, no fold reduction in susceptibility, but for you know the P1 California New York uh, variants, there was a significant uh, fold reduction that impacts susceptibility to that monoclonal. Um, for the combination of, uh, BAMP and it, um, there's again the B117, um, did not show, um, significant, uh, impact on the, the, the uh, did not, um, show any significant impact on susceptibility to that. But then you can see that for the P1 and uh, 351, uh, there appears to be quite significant reduction in susceptibility and, um, the, you know, CAS IMDEV, looked really good um, with really no change in reduction uh, reductionist susceptibility for, for that particular uh, combination. Now, again, just really want to mention that these are in vitro data and not real world data. And so we, we need to just take that with the caveats that come with those. Um, One other uh, new agent, now moving on to new agents that are exciting, is VR-7871, which is a GSK monoclonal antibody. It's an anti-SARS-CoV-2 monoclonal antibody that targets a conserved epitope of the spike uh, receptor binding domain. Um, It's uh, uh, quite quite promising. In vitro, it neutralizes not just wild-type, but also pseudotyped viruses, um, in that have harbor mutations um, similar to the b117 b1 uh, uh, 351 as well as as p1 um, so which is uh, fascinating um, um, uh, you know, there there, there are uh, m- mutations that can evade this monoclonal antibody, but it's taught that 99.99% of sequenced virus in the U.S. would remain susceptible to this drug, So it's really promising. So in the phase three common trial, which is ongoing, again, another outpatient study of a map looking at mild to moderate COVID-19 uh, for individuals with high risk of hospitalization where individuals were giving this monoclonal compared to placebo, they found an 85% reduction in hospitalization or death uh, compared to to placebo, again, this is just um, limited information we have available, but again, looks really promising, and I think uh, really because of the um, uh, relative um, uh, um, so, uh, relative uh, the fact that it's relative to the variants that are circulating, that this is a a promising product. There's also a combination BAM VIR seventy eight seventy one study and. Uh, Preliminary data suggests that it's associated with a greater reduction in the viral load than placebo in low risk adults. So, um, going back to the audience response question, so we've seen that BAM is really knocked out by everything that's not B117. Um, Again, we showed studies in outpatients. I didn't show you any of the. Uh, patients in hospitalized patients, but we know that many of these monoclonal antibody studies have shown no benefit um, within hospitalized patients, and many studies have been terminated uh, prematurely. And in the active trial, um, that was another trial where BAM actually did not show any 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 impact on on clinical outcomes. Uh, Casarivimab and imdevimab bind to non-overlapping epitopes of SARS-CoV-2. And that's one of the strength of those combinations so that they are uh, independently le- less vulnerable to mutations that knock out the other. And um, outpatient studies of SARS-CoV-2, I think we've seen that um, viral load trajectories are all, all over the place. And in some cases, um, even where viral loads don't change much, um, you know, there they they have been sometimes observed uh, uh, positive clinical outcomes in spite of the viral load trajectories. So I um, just wanted to, I couldn't end and couldn't resist without talking about um, one of the real buzzers um, that's really getting a lot of press, which is a molnupiravir. And so this is, um, you know, a study from Nature that looked at um, its effect of SARS-CoV-2 um, transmission in ferrets. Um, molnupiravir has a broad spectrum of activity. Um, it's a nucleoside and that has, against activity against many RNA viruses, including uh, a range of coronaviruses and apparently in, in viruses that could be resistant to remdesivir, um, which would be a compar- competitor antiviral. It inhibits bioreplication, causes an error catastrophe. The advantage is an oral agent that's dosed uh, twice a day. And uh, this is a phase two and three trial that's going on in both hospitalized And and sorry, there's phase two and three trials going on in humans, but this is an animal study. We'll talk about the human trials shortly after. What I thought was fascinating was there's the two experiments here. So one is looking at three different doses of the um, monopiraville. Uh, compared to a vehicle, so which is an uh, inert uh, placebo. And um, if you look at the different um, uh, doses, you, uh, so the, even for the doses of uh, monopiravir, there were, um, the 5 and 15 were dosed 12 hours post-infection, and then in the red was um, given 36 hours uh, post-infection. And you can see that the viral load uh, really uh, goes down quickly within two days for the lower doses that were given 12-hour infection, 36 hours. There's a little bit of a lag, but compared to those who got a vehicle, you can see significant differences with just the virologic decay in those who got the drug. Okay, so preventing uh, establishment of of infection post exposure. And then also they did another experiment, which was interesting. This was a nasal lavage for SARS-CoV-2 virus. And this was just simulating what happens with transmission. So they would infect a ferret and then house it with other ferrets. And the goal was to see what happened to the co-housed animals um, who were exposed to, to infected animals, both those that were treated and not treated. And interestingly, again, um, if you look at the, uh, the black, there's the source ferret, the contact ferret. You know, about a day later, those co-housed with them um, had significant numbers of virus recovered. But for um, the contact ferrets that received uh, molnupiravir, uh, sorry, for the contact ferrets of the source ferrets that were treated with molnupiravir, you can see that there were no infections. So suggesting that if you treat an infected um, an animal, that they were less likely to transmit to, to the animals that they were co-housed with as a proof of concept. And so at Croy, um, this was a virologic data presented, uh, by, by Wendy Painter, um, from, from the company that makes the, the drug. Um, and so uh, this looked at an infectious SARS-CoV-2 virus in a, uh, in a treatment study of COVID-19 among non-hospitalized patients. So they had to be within seven days of laboratory-confirmed uh, COVID-19, and they were randomized to oral monopiravir, different doses versus placebo, with nasopharyngeal swabs uh, collected over time, day three, all through day 28. Interestingly, um, they also cultured the virus and then PCR'd it afterwards so that they could also comment on uh, isolation of the infectious virus, which I thought was a strength of the study. So uh, what the data was, was that the overall, the proportion of participants with positive uh, viral load by culture were significantly different both at day three, um, uh, post study entry and day five for all individuals with about um, only 20% of people um we, who received monopure as compared to 28% although that wasn't clinically significant having a positive viral culture uh, uh that then uh, with a piece uh, positive viral culture. And at day five, no patients who got uh, any of the monopiravir doses had a culturable virus that could be detected by PCR. So this really showed, right, really um, quite robust virologic uh, uh, efficacy in people who received monopiravir. So I guess we will be hearing a little bit more about uh, this agent in the future. So back to our treatment guidelines again, I think that, uh, you know, having gone through the data, we can see that, you know, the evidence has really dictated our um, the the recommendations around what could be used and and what shouldn't be used. And I'll just really um, end by saying that, you know, clinical trials have really helped define what are effective treatments for COVID-19, which patients patient populations benefit most, and at what point along the disease course these therapies work best. we know within hospitalized patients, that um, we, you know for those with mild disease, who are not uh, requiring any oxygen, I think there's openings there. Um, we're catching, a, maybe catch a lot of these outpatients, but for hospitalized patients who don't require oxygen, I think um, uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, for those with severe, serious, or critical illness, um, you know, are they uh, too advanced um, in the disease syndrome for any of our therapies to really show that much benefit, I think, is an open question, and I think these continue to energize the field to continue to find um, answers to uh, these important questions. Um, we've seen that combination antiviral immunological do have shown uh, some promise, and many more are undergoing an evaluation in clinicaltrials.gov. There's so many uh, studies with, you know, remdesivir Combination therapies, as long and other combination approaches, to try to uh, um, uh, evaluate their impact on patient outcomes. Um, MAPs have shown great promise in outpatient setting. They haven't really done well in inpatient, and they work well as and prevention. And combinations may be necessary to retain activity against the emerging variants. So I'll stop here. Thank you for having me, and uh, we can move to Q and A.
0: Wow! Thank you for that tour de force. Uh, your mastery is amazing. Um, we we actually um, are running short of time. I'm going to pick one representative question and then ask you if you wouldn't mind answering the questions directly because there are quite a few that are, are very specific. Um, I, one individual asked whether you have any comments on the double mutant variant and potential efficacy of treatment.
1: Yeah, so I think we all saw that data, right, about a variant that had a combination of mutations that we um, uh, hadn't seen before in a single strain, I think is the question that's being asked. Um, again, that's why, you know, some of the data on uh, which mutations impact the different monoclonal antibodies has become important and should continue as new uh, variants emerge. But I think the message here is that um, combination monoclonal antibodies, I think, is the answer to, um, you know, uh, uh, many of these uh, variants. Um, And, you know, combinations that have different sites of action, non-overlapping targets, I think is the way to go.
0: Okay. Well, um, thank you very much. That was really exciting. And I think we'll Turn, uh, back to our moderators to close, close down the session.